0: Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Ron Gaia with more End Time Insights. We thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys so much. We pray for you as the Lord leads, and we're just excited to be doing this. It's a God thing. We know that it's a God thing. And so many things are happening in the church. We've been studying revelation in our Bible studies. I've been telling you about that. And there's just such wonderful revelation in there, just about the way the Lord has a love for his church, the way the Lord wants to protect his church from false doctrine, how much the Lord hates false doctrines in the church, how much he hates compromise in the church. And so we are seeing the Lord respond to protecting his church in a way that you never hear about in the body of Christ. And you don't hear this stuff on Sunday mornings. It's just offensive. It doesn't fit in with the, what is it, universalistic idea that everybody's good, you're good, I'm good. And uh, let's just all compromise to get along. You know, this stuff needs to be challenged. We talk about it in the book of Revelation where Jesus is really furious with the church. He says, I'm going to come. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to fight against you that promote this type of doctrine. I will create a bloodbath with the sword of the Spirit. Just amazing, amazing stuff that you won't hear on Sunday morning. Today's show is going to be about fear not. Fear not. It's a constant theme in the Bible. And I want to get started with uh, Matthew chapter ten verses twenty six to thirty one The disciples are about to be sent out. Jesus is sending them out, and he 's talking to them because he 's recognizing what they 're going to go through. He knows they persecute me they 're going to persecute you if they persecute the master they 're going to persecute his servants matthew ten twenty six thirty one fear them not therefore. Those who, those that are persecuting. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and there's nothing hid that shall not be made known. Verse 27, what I tell you in darkness, that speak you in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach you upon the uh, housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The first one is man or the devil. The second one, is talking about Jesus. Fear me. Fear God, who's able to sentence you to hell based on your rejection of Christ, where you will be destroyed. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father's knowledge. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. As Jesus is preparing his disciples to go out, he gives them instructions. In the midst of these instructions, a constant theme is presented. Matter of fact, in these six verses, you'll see that the instructions he gives them, he repeats it three times. And what are those instructions? Fear not. Fear not. He tells them fear not in verse 26. He tells them fear not in verse 28. And he tells them fear not again in verse 31. 28, he sums it all up by saying, don't fear man, don't fear the devil, but fear me. And I love the way Spurgeon puts this because we struggle. You know, you are not created. You've not been given a spirit of fear. And I love what Spurgeon says. There is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. (laughs) Isn't that great? You want to fear man, go right ahead. But once you recognize the fear of God, your fear of man will suddenly dissipate. The Bible says it is a terror. And, you know, God wrote this in Hebrews to the backslidden Christian. He says it is a terror to fall into the hands of the living God. And it it doesn't say it at the end, but he's talking about in judgment. It is a terror to fall into the hands of the living God. You do not want to have to deal with God in judgment. Deal with him in grace. We've got a few more years here of grace and accept the salvation offer that he makes. Accept the goodness of God, which is designed to lead you to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish. And he wants his church to be holy. As we study the book of Revelation, I'm going to be taking nuggets out there to share with you. Uh, it is so important that we understand how Jesus deals with sin, how Jesus deals with compromise, how Jesus deals with fear in his church, his church. It's not your church. It's his gospel. It's not your gospel. And the things we are doing to it, we will answer to. And where do you see the depths of how we will answer to it? Fear is held back for the church. Uh, I'm sorry. Fear is held back the church ever since uh, the inception of the church. Yet its greatest danger in the life of a believer, a danger that renders us harmless, is fear. We are unable to go ahead and withstand the attacks of the enemy because we're scared. You cannot fear God and fear man in the same space. Two, what is it? Two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. And it's like a teeter-totter, or I call them seesaws when I was a kid growing up. One person, the heavier person goes down and the other person goes up in the air. Well, if faith or the fear of God is the heavier person sitting on there, then fear of man is dissipated. But if the teeter-totter switches and the seesaw switches, then you're represented as uh, the weight of fearing man outweighs the weight of fearing God. And the only way to cultivate either one of them is being in that presence. If you are in the presence of man, then you're going to have the fear of man. If you are in the presence of God, you're going to have the fear of God. It's something that we need to be cognizant of. Where are we spending our time? Who are we spending our time with? In Matthew 10, Jesus knows what's waiting for the disciples. He knows the kind of tribulation and persecution that they're going to encounter. He tells them they must not fear those by whom such tribulation and persecution is going to come. William Barclay, old-time commentator, I love this. In the king's messenger, there must be a certain courageous fearlessness which marks him out from other men. I love that. We're supposed to be known as Christians, and there's many ways we can be known as Christians, but our fearlessness, our courage should be an earmark that we belong to Christ, not only that we belong to Christ, that we know Christ, that we are spending time with Christ, that we're not stuck on the TV, and we're letting the fears of the world, we're letting the lies of man, we're letting the threatenings of man minister to us. The Bible says in Psalm 1, blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You've got to shut that stuff off. The Bible's open. TV's off. If one is going to speak for the king, one must act like the king. Not only does Jesus tell them not to fear, but he encourages them to be bold and undaunted. Shout my message from the housetops. No fear. Don't be scared. Shout it. Get out there. Let your light shine everywhere. The rest of the verses go to show how God's wonderful care and concern for his people. Basically, it will go with you. He says, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. The preaching of the gospel, it's never a solitary event. Jesus always accompanies those who preach the gospel. Let me say that again. The preaching of the gospel is never a solitary event. Jesus will always accompany those who preach the gospel. While we may speak the message to men, we will always speak the gospel message in the presence of God himself. William Barclay says it like this. The Christian witness is the man who knows no fear because he knows that the judgments of eternity will correct the judgments of time. The Christian preacher and teacher is the man who listens with reverence and who speaks with courage because he knows that whether he listens or speaks, he is in the presence of God. We need to walk around with this mindset. We need to have an understanding of who God is, where he is, and what is he within us? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this treasure in earth and vessels. uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, he lives inside you. And we need to recognize that he sent his manifesting presence, the representative of who he is, the Holy Spirit, to live inside us. He's called the spirit of truth. You know, I'm going to talk about this in a minute. He's not given us a spirit of fear. God did not give you a spirit of fear. If you've got a spirit of fear, it didn't come from God. And you are confusing the things of God with the things of carnal man. Let me read this. In the book of Revelation, this is so amazing. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, when Jesus is talking to the church at Smyrna, this was what it 's commonly known as the persecuted church i 'm changing that this was yes, it was the persecuted church no no question about it, and the Smyrnians are known because they were persecuted, but you don 't know that they overcame that persecution, and they were the heroic church. Why do we focus on the negative aspect about that? You know we do the same thing with Bartimaeus. You never hear a sermon where they just say Bartimaeus. They say what? They say blind Bartimaeus. You know, if it was up to us, we'd take away that healing. It's blind Bartimaeus. No, it's not blind Bartimaeus anymore. The miracle of God is that Bartimaeus is no longer blind. Well, it's the same thing with the church at Smyrna. Sure, the church at Smyrna was persecuted. They died. They lost their lives. They were put in prison. They were in abject poverty because of this persecution by the Jews, by Satan. And yet they were a heroic church. Verse 10, let me show you how Jesus dealt with them. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. He's talking to Smyrna. And then he's going to tell you about that. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. That you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I love it. Jesus is talking to them. And what's he talking to them about? He's talking about the persecution that's going to come. That persecution is going to get them thrown in jail. And remember, during these days, A.D. 90, uh, A.D. 95, uh, A.D. 100, when John wrote this, when you got thrown into jail in Smyrna or uh, Pergamos, it was a death sentence. You did not come out of that. You went into jail expecting that you were going to be killed. So they tried them. And many of them were killed. And yet Jesus is showing up Sunday morning and he says, fear none of those things which you're about to suffer. Let me break down fear none. Fear none, two words. Fear is phobos. We know that. It means fright or to be afraid. None is medan, M-E-D-E-N. And it means not a speck. It means not a bit, not the tiniest bit. Basically, what he's saying, you put those two words together and you have a strong authoritative command. I'm going to say this. I'm going to wake you up. What The way this should be written, okay, this has the emotional impact of what Jesus is saying. Basically, he's saying, halt, stop, stop being scared. That's what he's saying to them in the tone that he's saying to them. He's letting them know, look. Yes, it's going to get bad. Yes, it's going to get worse. Yes, some of you guys are going to die. But there's already fear going on in the church. I want it stopped. I want it stopped now. That's the tone that he's using to these people. You got to understand God doesn't play around with this stuff. This is the church of Jesus Christ. How dare we shut down? How dare we follow the dictates of man when Jesus Christ has already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness? I love the way we quote scriptures when we're ignoring the persecution, when we're ignoring how it's supposed to apply to us. And yet, if it's somebody else, we'll go ahead and bring these scriptures out there. But we're not living these scriptures. We need to live by the word of God. Look at this. Stop and stop it right now. Suffering is part of the Christian life. We cannot avoid it. We've got to understand that. You know, we we take the blessings. And at no point do we focus on the fact that, well, there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some suffering that's going to be part and parcel to this. But in our new age, Word of Faith movement, no, that can't be God. That's got to be the devil. We've got to understand that God is sovereign. He is who he says he is. He is the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The New Testament doesn't change God at all. All the New Testament does is change your ability to have a relationship with God. It doesn't change God, it changes you. 2 Corinthians one five: For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds in us. Another word for consolation is comfort. Let me read it to you in the Amplified. For just as Christ's sufferings are ours in abundance, that means there's lots of them, as they overflow to his followers, what? The sufferings, we only talk about the blessings, we can't talk about that. So also our comfort and our reassurance, our encouragement, and our, next page, And our, went two pages, hang in there, I'm coming. And our consolation is abundant through Christ. It is sure more than enough to endure successfully the things that we must endure. And so basically Paul is writing that, look, you're going to get blessings, I get it, but you're also going to get sufferings. And don't worry about it, because as these sufferings come, the consolation and the comfort that Christ will bring you in the midst of these sufferings will outweigh them. We've got to understand it. Philippians 129, For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Uh, who wrote this? I didn't give anybody credit here. This is not mine. When Christianity cost something... We are closer than ever we were to the fellowship of Jesus Christ when your Christianity costs something when it demands something of you that you 're not willing to give okay that 's when we are closest to Christ and the fellowship that we confess that we have and if we know the fellowship of his sufferings, then you can count it that we 're going to also know the power of his resurrection and that 's from Paul and that's in Philippians 2, I think. I think it's Philippians 2 or 3. And it talks about that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Awesome. We got that. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto him in his death. It's so important that we recognize we're supposed to be like Christ. And we got all the good stuff down. But you got to get this hard stuff down. Don't we get, And when we don't, when we live carnally and we just bask in the blessings, the five cents round blessings, cars houses, even maybe spiritual peace, even maybe children, even maybe promotions or the best parking spot. That's all fine. But when we start building our relationship with God, not through the spirit, but through carnal acquisitions, when the sufferings come, we are ill-equipped. When it's time to go to war, we are ill-equipped. When it's time to get on the battlefield, we are way behind. Look at this. Jesus says, behold. Another word for behold is wow. Anytime you see the word behold in the Bible, take it out and put wow in there. Jesus says, behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Now, he's telling them, don't be scared in one sentence. And in the very next sentence, he says, the devil's going to throw you in prison. He didn't say the Jews. He didn't say demons. This is a definite article. The devil is going to throw some of you into prison. That should get many people scared. But even in the midst of that, he's saying, have no fear. God is not doing this, and man is not doing this. This definite article defines that this person who's casting you into prison is the devil. The word for casting there actually means to hurl or to throw violently into prison. These people are being picked out of their homes, picked out of their guilds where they work, picked out of the streets, picked out of their churches, and they are being thrown face first down into the dungeons of Satan. Remember, this is all done under the heading of fear, none of those things. These are some of the things that Jesus is telling them not to fear. In that day, being thrown into prison wasn't for the purpose of rehabilitation. You weren't going in there to be punished. You were going in there because it was the equivalent of a death sentence. Then he goes on. The devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Parazo is the Greek word. It's a calculated test designed to reveal any impurities. So the devil over in Smyrna may be trying some of these people for their faith to see if they're Christians or not. But at the same time... God, Jesus is doing the same thing. And if you've got fear running rampant in your life, you're going to fail the test. Today's America, you know what that means? If you fail God's test right now, if you're living by fear instead of by faith, if you are kowtowing to the ungodly mandates from an ungodly government, if you are doing all that, that's bad news. And you're failing the test. But there's kind of good news for you. The good news is God's going to allow you to take the test again. That's the good news. The bad news, you're going to take it in the tribulation. You do not want to be here during the tribulation. What you compromise to keep, you will lose. This is Barclay again. For a man to become a Christian anywhere was to become an outlaw back in those days. In Smyrna, above all places, for a man to enter the Christian church was literally to take his life in his own hands. In Smyrna, the church was a place for heroes. I love that. I could almost break down in tears. I love that. In Smyrna, the church was a place for heroes. How about where you're going today? Is your church a place for heroes? Or are you just walking around playing church, doing religion with a new name on it, kowtowing to every ungodly dictate that the government brings upon your church. Are you challenging people in your church to be better? Are you standing out among them as a light shining in darkness? Are you letting them know that you really do have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at that. Understand that. If we will walk in the spirit, we're not going to follow the dictates of the flesh. And remember, I told you, the Bible says that Jesus said, Paul wrote, God did not give you a spirit of fear. You either have a spirit of fear or you have the spirit of the Lord. God did not give you that spirit of fear. Your flesh only looks out for itself. You're born again spirit and your renewed mind dominate your soulish area and it's there where the word can make you brave. But if you are carnally minded, if you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, if you're following advice you shouldn't be following, if you're reading and watching things that the world is watching, you will be carnal, you will be fearful. Get that through your brain. Just this week, our governor went ahead the other day And he said, hey, we're opening Texas. Businesses next week can open to 100% and I am removing the mandate to wear a mask. If you want to wear a mask, that's your business. If you don't want to wear a mask, that's your business too. That's what he said. You cannot force anyone to wear a mask. I love that. Many of us have been refusing to wear a mask. The thing that drives me up a wall is when people that don't have to wear a mask, wear a mask we need patriots we need freedom fighters a friend of mine calls herself a freedom fighter i love it we need people that are going to stand tall and not allow satan to tell them what they can do what they can't do i'm telling you right now if you're wearing a mask it's because you're scared well no i'm not yes you are if you're getting the vaccine it's because you're scared well yes i am no i'm not if you're doing these things it's because you're scared of something if you go into sam's and you wear a mask you're scared that they're not going to let you shop that's fear If you are taking the vaccine because you're scared you might get sick, then you are scared. If you're wearing a mask or you're taking the vaccine because you feel you don't want to infect other people, that's nice, but you're scared that you're going to infect other people. Come on, let's call it what it is. A telling sign that we are not walking in the spirit is when we give in to fear. We know that because God has not given us a spirit of fear. If I as a Christian am acting in fear, something is wrong. Now, I'm not talking about common fear, everyday fear, okay? You're scared of missing a court date or something like that. I'm talking about a spirit of fear. There's a difference there. You as a born-again Christian, you've got the spirit of the living God living inside you. God says it plainly. I did not give you a spirit of fear. That's great. That doesn't mean you never get scared. I understand that. You're falling down the roof on a two-story concrete ground. You're going to get scared on the way down. That doesn't mean you have a spirit of fear. Okay. We're talking about the inherent default position of being scared. Christians can't have a spirit of fear. God didn't give us one. Therefore, if you know someone who is controlled by a spirit of fear, they need deliverance and they need to revisit salvation with God. The spirit of fear did not come from God. We just read it. You cannot have a spirit of fear and And have the Spirit of God living inside the same temple. It's like that teeter-totter I was talking about. There's a, a defined space in you where your spirit dwells. You either have the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of truth, the representation of Christ, or you have the Spirit of fear. But you can't have both. I love this we're talking about fear. And even in the fear of the Lord, which you are supposed to have, remember, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I love that scripture, work out your own salvation. This is about the fear of the Lord, which you are supposed to have. It's totally different than the other fear. The fear of the Lord, work out your own salvation. God wants us to work out as Christians. You know, many of you go to the gym, you go jogging, you do your aerobics, you do whatever you're supposed to do nowadays, isometrics, whatever they're doing. You're working out your own salvation. Praise the Lord. That's good. But then look, God's so good. He lets you take workout partners with you. He gets you personal trainers to go to the workout place. Work out your own salvation. Oh, with fear and trembling. Bring fear and trembling with you while you're working out your own salvation. Bring the fear of the Lord with you. I will help you. I will direct your path. And trembling. This is not a la-di-da type of fear. This is a fear knowing that he's God, you're not. He is judge, you are not. And he is able to do with you as he said he would do according to the Bible. I love this, though. William Barclay, I'm using his name a lot. I've been studying him. But Listen to this. And for Christians, the matter is even more compelling. For our fear is not a fear that God will punish us, which for many it is, but that we may grieve his love. That speaks to me. I'm not scared too much. I really aren't. But I do fear when I wound God. I do fear when I sin. I, I don't like offending him. I don't like violating the word of God. That's why I fear God. Because I know he can and I know he will punish me. That's a given. I accept that I've got that. You know, It's the fact, though, that I wounded him by my sin. It's the fact that I have shamed the sacrifice of Christ, that I have mocked him. I hate disappointing people. I don't like wounding people in any way. To think of all that God has done for me and then to go ahead by my act of sin, disregard all that for some type of instant gratification or some type of uh, social desire to stay free from persecution or mocking or belittlement. I find those type of actions in me to be abhorrent to the king. You know, when I weigh all of that against what he did, how dare I? You know we deny him in so many ways. I don't want to deny him by my fears. It's bad enough that we sin, yet here we are now in violation of his word, fearing things we shouldn't be fearing. We must up our game. We cannot truly know him in fear. We only know him in faith, and it's really not an option. And so it's important that we go ahead and we press onward. It's important that we go ahead and we move forward, and I'm going to leave you with this scripture. It's not a happy scripture, but I'm going to leave it with you. Revelation 21, 8. You know, when I give you these scriptures, you know, sometimes it's to edify you. That's most of what they do. Sometimes it's to teach you. Sometimes it's to challenge you. Other times it's to convict you. And I'm giving you the scripture today because it, it should convict you. Revelation 21, 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But you notice the first thing on the list is the fearful. Church, repent of your fearfulness. Repent of your cowardness. Look for ways to show God that you believe he is who he said he is. I'm doing that in my life. I challenge you to do it in your life. I'm Ron Geyer. These are End Time Insights. We pray you have a great week. Walk in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit.